This episode is brought to you by the brand new NAD M10 V2 BlueOS streaming amplifier. The M10 V2 offers everything but the speakers for your hi-fi experience. Featuring 100 watts per channel of amplification, a highly acclaimed DAC, and built-in sources, the M10 V2 will elevate any home audio system. Welcome back to another Darko Audio podcast. And because the last podcast about beginner talk was so successful with you fine people out there listening, Michael Lavonia is joining us once again to try and cover more ground. Or rather, I'm going to su- suggest topics that he may or may not agree with. And I've got a feeling he's probably going to disagree with some of them. So, um, yeah, welcome, Michael Lavonia, once again. I disagree. Oh, wait, we haven't started yet. Oh, it's good to be back. Right. So, I mean, the theme again is really, I guess, yeah, beginner talk or like if you're just starting out in the hi-fi world and the audio file space, mm. then we are trying, we're, we're making these podcasts to try and talk to you, to try and help you. This is the help really. Um, as far as, well, as far as I'm concerned, it is. I mean, it's just, you know, I don't have the time to help other people on an individual basis, but I can, you know, mm. I'm, a, I'm, I'm a content producer. I'm a publisher like you, Michael. And I think this is how I see my job is to make podcast videos, articles to try and help people. But that's that for me, as we said at the end of the last podcast, that for me is really where the help stops just because I don't have any more time to give. I mean, can actually... Before you respond to that, tell me how many days a week do you work on Twittering machines? Well, I mean, I, I post things to uh, social media seven days a week, mm-hmm. um, but I, I work uh, six days a week, you know, on content. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I used to be doing six and a half and I managed to trim it back to six. So yeah. I take one day off a week, but I'm. Monday to Friday, I'm just, yeah, I guess n- probably 9, p- 9 a.m. till 9 p.m. I'm doing all manner of things related to generating articles, videos, and podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I know. It, it, it does take, um, I guess that, you know, that may be something that may not be obvious, you know, to, to people. You know, how right. much time goes into uh, creating the content that we create. I mean, mine is fairly easier to get it a handle on in a certain sense because um, I don't have these other outlets as mm. you do. Um, but but nonetheless, I mean, yeah, it might be uh, it might be a mystery, you know, to to people about how how much time goes into uh, into maintaining, you know, these sites. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to get all sort of complaining and whingy about it because I'm very grateful for what I do as I'm sure you are, but I do. Sure. You're right. I think it is a bit of a mystery to readers and viewers. I mean, and certainly from the emails I get, you know, like, can you take time to help me go through these hi-fi options? And I just, I just don't have the time. I wish I did, but I just don't. And I guess I'm explaining this here just ahead of what we're about to talk about. So people hopefully see the podcast as the help and then everything else after that, they're kind of on their own or, you know, go and find some help from somebody else or, you know, I guess, read other websites, watch other YouTube videos, and then go and do some work of your own. But I I think really at the end of the day, 
if, if you're looking to buy gear, you're going to have to do some work of your own. There isn't just like a, a magic answer you can pull down from the internet and then go and buy that and you're done. That's never going to happen. Or if it does, you're very lucky. Yeah. Yeah. And just to clarify, yeah, I would never complain about work, you know, right. Or about right. how much time I, I choose. And it really is a choice to work. I mean, that's, I'm not in any way, uh, complaining. I'm just, just sharing that information. That's mm. all. Yeah. Yeah. I think, well, I think it's important, especially if we're talking to newcomers who might not be aware of what it is we do and how we work behind the scenes, because I mean, you probably do actually spend more time packing and unpacking gear than I do because you, <laughs> you deal with these enormous speakers and I don't know how you do it on your own, but that's going to take an hour to pack up one pair of large speakers, right? At least. Yeah. Typically a bit longer because, uh, the larger speakers are always delivered on pallets. So, right. I mean, there's, there's getting them, you know, back into their individual boxes, you know, getting them, uh, closed up and sealed and then onto the pallet wrapped securely to the pallet. You know, and if you're talking about a couple hundred pounds, you know, a hundred and some pound a piece speakers, it takes a you know, I'm not throwing these things around. <laughs> you have to be careful, right? So you don't scratch Absolutely. them. Yeah. yeah. And I guess the manufacturer would say it's a two-man job, but you sure. and I both work on our own, so we kind of have to find a way to pack up things on our own, I guess, really. Yeah, well, that's actually, you know what? I mean, that's that has changed a bit, and it, but through necessity, because some of these speakers are just, getting too big and heavy for me to mm. be able to comfortably pack them, you know, without risking, you know, damage to myself <laughs> or the speaker. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. So let's make a start on the sort of beginner stuff, because there were mm. some things that I thought about after our last podcast on, you know, beginner audiophile talk. And I'll start with a couple of things that people tend to say to me when they hear about what I do for a job. So if I'm, if, if I'm at a party, I mean, the last time I went to a party was two years mm. ago because of COVID, but if yeah. I'm at a party, what do you do? Blah, blah, blah. And they go, oh, I bet your hi-fi system has really big bass. <laughs> so it's as if, and I think we were conditioned in the 70s and 80s mm. that the amount of bass that a, um, a sound system had was its defining quality. And for me, I kind of, and I have, I've heard this a lot over the years, as I'm sure you have, and I, I don't know really what to say because, well, I, I start by saying, well, look, hang on a sec, because the amount of bass your hi-fi system has or your headphones, headphones have isn't a reliable indicator of how good they are. Mm, yeah. Right? Would you agree with that? Well, sure. I mean, especially if, if, if we're just talking about looking at specs, mm -hmm. you know, to determine you know, whether one should be interested in a given speaker or not and saying, oh, look, that one goes down to 32 Hertz. Yeah. That's, that's gotta be better than the one that only goes down to 38. <laughs> you know what I mean? That kind of focus is, uh, is a uh, misguided. Let's just say. Yeah. I don't even know whether the people sort of asking me these questions about the amount of bass would even look at a spec sheet. I think hmm. they would just assume that, you know, if they go to a hi-fi store or like, even a big box retailer, and they listen to a few things, they might make the mistake of just picking the thing that has the most obvious oh, base, right? I see. I see. Do you see what I mean? Like, it's just, yeah. and I think that's a big 
a big pitfall, like it was a gigantic crater that you can easily walk into as a beginner, is, is being obsessed or being overly interested in the amount or the prominence of base. It could be problematic, yeah. I guess one of the... I, I'm hesitating a tiny bit because really, I, um, it's Friday, and each Friday I pick an, uh, a record of the week. Mm. And the, today's record is by uh, Kevin Martin under his uh, The Bug moniker. Mm-hmm. And in, in a lot of the press for that record, he, Kevin Martin, talks about how important bass was to him. But we're talking about like a very specific, you know, dub um, uh, sound system for uh, public, you know, for, for mm. club for clubs. So that was, you know, he's coming from a very specific, uh, point of view in terms of the music and even the environment for the music to be played in. Um, but I could see that if somebody's into music, you know, like this, like the bug and, and the music that, you know, kind of goes along with that Mm. bass is a big part of it. So you, you know, you, the, I think that, you know, in that instance, you know, uh, uh, you might be disappointed if you end up investing money into a system that literally you won't even hear, you know, some of that music content that's on the record because it can't reproduce that bass. Sure. But I but, think, mm. yeah, but I'm going to say this, that there, there are two issues. Well, the two sort of, I guess, I guess quantifiable elements of bass is like the bass reach, how low the speaker or the system goes. And then the amplitude of those frequencies. Mm-hmm. So like a speaker can go all the way down to, I don't know, like, let's say 30 Hertz. But if, if it's bass heavy, if the, those lower frequencies, frequencies, say 30 to 50 are much louder than the other frequencies in the spectrum. So if you look at a frequency plot, it's all tipped up to the left hand mm. side. Mm. I think that's a problem. Oh, I, I agree. Yeah, sure. Right. Yeah. So what I'm talking about is, is bass that's artificially goosed to kind of trick the consumer into thinking they're getting something really awesome when they're not. And this is, like a, this is why I kind of flag this as a number one pitfall that, you know, could be a problem for newcomers. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, yeah, when auditioning, um, when auditioning, uh, hi-fi gear systems, speakers, um, it's, it's not a hard and fast rule. But I mean, a lot of the times if speakers, for example, uh, if some aspect of, of the way they're reproducing music is, is so different from everything else you've been hearing, yeah, it makes you go, wow, that's like, wow, you know, you, that may not be a good thing. <laughs> Nine times out of 10, it's, you know, it, it tends not to be a good thing because, you know, what's, what's what you're talking about. So yeah, if you have one speaker set of speakers and you're listening to let's say two or three going back and forth and one of them has much bigger bass much louder more prominent bass than the mm. others and you're like wow that's got great bass you know that may if you end up buying it taking it home that may be very tiring very quickly yes and that's the point is it? yes because it's artificially goosed and you're it's just going to be exhausting to listen to and it may not work in your room you might overload your room with bass and it might just sound truly horrible yeah, and and I think if if you do come to hi-fi with this idea of big bass being a, a sort of number one signifier of quality, when you do sit down in a hi-fi listening room for the first time, 
you might think, where the fuck has the bass gone? Like, yeah. I can't believe. And you, you, you really must resist those thoughts because there are so many other wonderful qualities that the speakers may have that don't impress right away. I mean, the other one is zingy treble, isn't it? Like, oh yeah, that's a, so much detail in there. I mean, I guess you know, at either end, you can be very easily fooled. Yes. Either, either end of the frequency spectrum. But yeah, we I used to call that boom and tiz. Right. <laughs> My mate in, a, in Australia calls that tinkle beef. So be, <laughs> beef down below and then tinkles up, up top, right? Which I thought was just brilliant. Yeah, that's good. So you got to watch out for tinkle beef when you're auditioning speakers because like a, a goose bottom end, be suspicious, an insistent, very present top end where hi-hats really come at you. Also be a little bit wary and, you know, try and listen for something, you know, pay attention to the speaker that sounds the most boring at first blush. Mm. Mm. And that's the one that may actually be the longer term listening partner, if you like, in your home, maybe. But I just wouldn't dismiss those because I've made these mistakes of dismissing what I think are boring speakers and then coming back some years later going, oh, wow, now I get it. Now I understand exactly why this speaker is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. It just, I, I will share many years ago. I mean, it's gotta be 15 years ago. Mm. Uh, friends of actually it was parents of, uh, one of our daughter's, uh, friends, their parents came over and, uh, I'm not even going to say what the system was. It doesn't really matter. But the, the guy came in and uh, he was like, Oh, you know, can I hear something? So I played some music. And he listened for a few minutes. He didn't even sit down. And he was, and his comment was, oh, I'm used to more bass. And I was like, right? oh, yeah. I was like, okay, <laughs> you know. But I think it's just, it's just been years and years of, I don't know where this came from, really. Maybe it was just boom boxes in the 80s. Or maybe it's just this idea. Maybe it's just a, a, a societal um, imprint, you know, that we're all kind of conditioned that big bass is good. Yeah, I, I would, I don't know the answer, but I, I would hazard a guess that home theater had a, a hand in it, mm. you know, because a lot of home theater systems come with subwoofers, awful, mm -hmm. you yeah. know, awful, thumpy bass. Mm. Um, and, and they offer the ability to adjust that bass. Um, I'm not a family, I'm not even to say who, not that they ever hear this, but a family member years ago <laughs> got a new home theater system and uh, he had the bass turned up so loud. It was ridiculous. I mean, it was like, mm. you know, it, it overwhelms like everything. And uh, what, you know, I mean, but I guess there is something, you know, there's probably something uh, primal <laughs> about that Yeah, maybe, yeah. Yeah. You know, like that thunder, you know, you want to be aware that there's these very low frequency thunderous footsteps approaching. <laughs> well, yeah, but maybe it's also the, the musical content that people consume in different parts of the world. Because if you say, listen to, I don't know, traditional Chinese music, mm. there, there ain't a lot of bass in that. Yeah. And so mid-range and treble response would be far more important to you in a hi-fi system than the low end performance, I would, I would think, but I guess if you've like, if you've, let's say you, you grew up with an older brother who listened to nothing but hip hop mm. for like 10 years, you're gonna, probably going to think that bass is the defining quality mm. of good sound because it's so 
bass heavy, that music. I mean, as we know, the first iteration of Beats headphones were extremely bass heavy. I yeah. think to satisfy or to soak up that, that demand, you know, that, that thirst, that, you know, they, they've mm-hmm. obviously did their market research and realized that the entire Western world, or more, a large chunk of it, is just obsessed with massive bass. Yeah. Well, okay, we're going to sell the headphones, let's, let's goose the bass on them. So, yeah. That was one of my favorite tile uh, video reviews ever was of mm. an early pair of um, Beats headphones, if, if you remember that. I don't think I saw that, no. Oh, uh, he, the whole, you know, the, the majority of the video, the intro, the whole bit, he, it's very straight. It's typical as, you know, it was consistent with every other headphone review. Yeah, you know, he mm. talked about the design and blah, 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 blah. And then, and, and also, uh, you know, Tile took a lot of time explaining, you know, how things were made. And, and when he got to the listening part, he put them on and I, I, I don't remember, it was years ago, but he basically just screamed out loud. <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking about Tile Hurtsons who used to run Inner, Inner Fidelity, Fidelity yes. which is no longer with us. I know he, he, is, he is, but the site is not. Yes, he is with the size that, which is so unfortunate because, uh, I mean, there was, you know, that, uh, to my mind, I mean, that was an invaluable resource. Yes. Yeah, it was. I mean, there's a tremendous archive of YouTube videos. I don't know whether the YouTube videos are still live. I'm not sure. But there was also yeah, a, I'm not sure, yeah. a Hall of Fame as well, which I think was very useful yes. for people, you know, trying a to... Wall of Fame. Sorry, yes. Wall of Fame. Yes, you're right. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a pity, but... Okay, well, let's move on to the next one then, okay? Sure. Because this is the other thing that you know, people, you know, people at parties on you know making polite conversation with, or friends who you know want to take a more of an interest in what I do. They say, "What do you have at home?" I bet you have bows, right? <laughs> and so there's also this other sort of conditioning through marketing, and bows have, have has been brilliant with this in convincing the world that they are the epitome of high quality sound at home. Yeah. I mean, truly, what an amazing marketing job. But as we both know, you can get hi-fi gear to use at home that sounds better than your average Bose system for way less money. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm reminded of uh, an old neighbor who was uh, an engineer by training. And actually for a living, he, he worked in uh, 3D printing, but he was heavily involved in, uh, from the engineering side. Mm. But we were having a conversation about hi-fi at some point, and he, he said, what about Bose? Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, you know, I mean, for me, I don't really, you know, that's not anything I would review uh, because there's simply what you just said. There's, you know, other things out there that are much better for the same, mm-hmm. for less money. And his comment was, you know, that's interesting. Is it because I they employ a, a ton of engineers? So how why is it why can't they why are you saying they they're not making the best stuff? I mean they employ engineers and that was you know that was his you know hmm. from you know from his perspective as an engineer he was like well they I mean they hired engineers so why why isn't it the case that and I you know the answer to that question is not very I don't know maybe it is straightforward but I'm missing. It. I think it's fairly straightforward is that every high, what, so no, every consumer electronics company is a business and mm. their, their aim is to make as much money as possible. And I think Bose worked out early on that the way to make the most money 
was not necessarily through making the best sounding gear because mm -hmm. making the best sounding gear takes a lot of resources. It increases your bill of materials, the cost of, you know, the total cost of materials needed to build the product. And they maybe realized that spending more money on marketing was more effective and in helping their bottom line than make, actually making their product sound better. Mm. Whereas I think a lot of, you know, the hi-fi world is made up of a lot of very small companies. There are some big players, of course, but there are lots of small companies. And I think a lot of the dudes who, it's mainly dudes, there are some females, of course, um, but a lot of people who are making these products really are driven to make the best sounding thing they possibly can for a particular price point. I really believe this. I mean, I don't believe any, well, there probably are people out there, you know, cutting corners to kind of make an extra 10 cents on each unit sold. I guess there'll be a sliding scale of companies like this, but I don't. I think there's a big difference between your average hi-fi company and the way that they are financially structured, and a company like Bose. Well, yeah, I right? yeah, I would say that's for certain. I mean, Bose. I mean, I can re sure I can remember back in the day when there were Bose stores in the mall, right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, and Bang & Olufsen. Right. There was a Bang & Olufsen store in the higher end malls. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there used to be one behind my house here, but no, the, the other flagship Bang & Olufsen store is across town. Yeah. I mean, design-wise, some of their stuff is just so beautiful and classic. Mm -hmm. I, I think so. And I, for me, I think it's enough. But also, the other thing about Bose is, is that until about five years ago, they were the last word in active noise-canceling headphones. Yeah. And nobody could get close to their QC35. But now we've got Sony. Um, I guess we've got Apple in that game now. There are a couple of other players who are, I would say the Sonys are probably better. So I guess, yeah, Bose is still a, a major force in the noise cancelling headphone world. Absolutely. But I just, I just don't see it in the sort of hi-fi world. Yeah, I know. I went to the website since I knew this would come up. Mm. And I, under... Um, under speaker systems, there are three. Um, I actually pulled it up. There are three speakers on offer. Um, one's a hundred dollar pair of little computer speakers, uh, six hundred dollar in ceiling speakers, and four hundred dollar outdoor speakers, and that's it. Mm -hmm. You know, so I guess in terms of speakers, they're the they're portable Bluetooth. Uh, it, you know, it's like this. This where Actually, I have, I have, a friend of mine has, has one of those, has a Bose portable Bluetooth speaker. It's actually not too bad. Yeah. Like for, in the context of that category of products. But that's yeah. not, that's not hi-fi at home as far as I'm concerned. That's like a little speaker yapping in the corner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, I've certainly, I think Sonus has made inroads into that market, you know, cause I've got friends that aren't into hi-fi that, you know, that own Sonos and that talk about, you know. Yeah, Sonos. and I would imagine the Sonos is, is even now way better than Bose has ever been in terms of satisfying our requirements for having a stereo pair of loudspeakers that, mm -hmm. you know, make a decent fist of music playback, especially the fives. I mean, a, and a pair of, you know, ones is okay. Mm. I, I would imagine with a sub, it would be pretty decent, but I, I don't know. I mean, but again, I definitely know. I definitely know that you can get a really great sound from, you know, passive speakers, outboard amp, DAC, streamer. Mm. It's a lot, a lot more work than Sonos. And this is probably 
why people buy Sonos is because it isn't a lot of work. But if you prepare to put in the effort and spend the same amount of money, you'll get a better result from traditional hi-fi separates than you will from a, a Sonos active speaker system. Should we, should we move on to number three? Sure. Because number three is a good one, actually. I, I, this is probably my, one of the, my favorites in the list. And you can tell me whether you agree or disagree with this, right? Mm. Is that remaster rarely means better sound quality. It's a spicy one, isn't it? It is, yeah. But it you is. think about like all the albums that you know of that have been remastered and reissued, say, in the last 20 years, I would say the majority, the mastering engineer who did the remaster has compressed the, the master too much so the dynamic range mm. is compressed and it sounds louder and it pops more and it sounds more exciting in your home hi-fi system. You go, wow, listen to all that. It's so exciting. But they're exhausting to listen to. Yeah, you know, I, I may take the easy way out on this one and, <laughs> and say, which is... I, largely the case i don't really go out of my way to buy remasters so i i'm fascinated by them because i'm always huh. hoping they're going to make a better fist of it than they, they did in the 80s or the 90s oh see what right right but see so that's you know that's a very good point for me if i want to get nostalgic and listen to you know music from my past mm. I, I, you know my memories are all vinyl days, right? Right. Yeah, I guess I did sort of grow up with a CD, just about. Yeah. Yeah. So I grew up listening to records, and and by and large, uh, I'm very satisfied with those original records. Whether right. it's you know, no matter what it is, from Jimi Hendrix to Miles Davis to, uh, you know, and on and on and on. I think jazz is a bit of a different deal. And I think generally when they do reissues and remasters, they're done very, very well because they're done, generally done by niche reissue labels or mm. I don't, I mean, I'm talking about, I guess more main, sorry, I, I should qualify this, more mainstream releases or sort of indie, indie rock, like alternative music from the 80s, pop from the 80s and 90s, even the 2000s as well. Like, and, and also things like Bowie and, I don't know, mm. Talking Heads and things like that. So, you know, when the albums came out in the 70s and 80s, when they made it to CD, they ended up sounding a little bit thin, a little bit bass shy, yeah, but, the, yeah. but the dynamic range was really good. So I always hope that when the remaster comes out, that they're not going to smash the, the loudness against the wall so it's exhausting to listen to and maybe add a little bit more body to the bottom end. But it's so hit and miss, and mostly it's a miss for me. But I know we've spoken about this before. The, re the other reason I'm really into sort of remasters is generally because they're anniversary reissues and that means lots of extra tracks. Yeah. Now, I know that you're not a fan of extra tracks on records. You like to leave the things as they are. And Pretty I understand much. what you mean. But like mm. if you've got the first disc is the album and then the second and third discs or fourth disc might be all the sort of demos, B-sides, live cuts or, you know, radio mm -hmm. sessions and things like that. I love that stuff because that's, <laughs> yeah. you know, Especially if it's collecting all the B-sides from an era that probably would have cost me, you know, crazy money to go and buy all the sort of CD singles from that era mm. from Discogs, you know, like it, they're all in one place, they're all on one album. But unfortunately, 
Mastering engineers, I, I don't know whether at the behest of the label or they, themselves, they get carried away. They make things too loud, which yeah. is why I say the majority of remasters are rarely better in sound quality than the originals. But sorry, like I know that you're, you're more of a jazz listener than me. Well, definitely. Yeah, no, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I guess so. But yeah, I mean, I do recall that a few years ago, uh, Nick Haven the Beds Seeds uh, reissued yes. a few records that were, you know, remastered, and that's how they were pitched. You know, like yeah, yes, we, yeah. And um, I, I don't recall being blown away by any of those. So they were pitched as twenty-four bit remasters. Oh, really? And, yeah. yeah, and I think this is we're talking. Oh God, Ooh, was it the 2011, 2012? Because they mm. came out in digi packs instead of the normal jewel case. Uh, and okay. they, I don't know whether they had, I don't think they had extra discs of B-sides. I think we just remastered it. Yeah. And I don't think they were all that good, but there was a reason why they came out on CD, which kind of talks to another point that I have in my list actually, mm. and which we often see, should I jump to that now? I yeah. Mean, because, it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, where is it? Okay. The, so I, I'm going to skip on number four and we're going to go straight to number five. Mm. Because, okay, so when you tend to see a whole catalog suddenly issued as 24-bit remasters and it appears on HD tracks or on streaming services as 2496, mm. generally the, what that means is, is that vinyl reissues are just around the corner or have already happened because the majority of modern records are cut from high-res digital files. Mm. The majority. Not all of them, obviously, and when mm -hmm. they're not, you know, the label makes a big song and dance about it on the sleeve. Like, but, the, but there's also some slippery language you see, like, because it goes, it'll, they'll say things like cut from the original master tapes. But what they don't tell you is that it's, it, yes, they've played back the master tape and they've digitized it mm. to a 2496 file. They've tidied it up, remastered it, and then, well, maybe remastered it, and then use that to cut the record on the lathe, right? Yes. So... And I know that Fremer covers this all the time on his Analog Planet, where he'll you know, be digging into where the pressing comes from. And I remember like emailing him a few years ago saying, do you think these Elvis Costello reissues are mm. from direct from analog tape, no digital in between? He's like, no, they're probably cut from 2496. And this is super common practice. Yeah. And when I, I mentioned this because newcomers getting into vinyl, getting excited about vinyl, think they're getting the analog experience. And then they're not really, not, re not really, not in the, in, if you want to break it down to the well, nitty gritty. <laughs> yeah, I suppose like, um, yeah, it's, it's a point of view, I would say, because, you know, on, on one hand, if you're listening to a record, you're, you're listening to a record, <laughs> I mean, right. the, you know, and, and the original source, uh, of the music nine times out of 10 or more is an analog source, meaning a, uh, an instrument, a voice, blah, 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 blah. Just, you know, most of the music we listen to, the sounds that comprise the music started out as in the analog world and were digitized and then whatever the case. Yes. Really? Can, I think my, my, my techno collection to my left here is looking pretty nervous yeah. right now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> Yes, with the exception of. Yeah, I mean, I have to qualify this, but I never sit there when I'm playing a record and think, oh my God, this is from a, clearly from a digital file. I can't tell. 
really can't tell because it's the sound of the turntable, the cartridge, the final stage and everything else colors it enough to, to, to satisfy me. Yeah. Like I, I can, you, do you know what I mean? Like I can, I can change cartridges and hear the difference in cartridges. So it has, has a greater impact on what I hear than, you know, whether I get the original analog pressing of something versus the remaster. Yeah. I've never, I don't care. Honestly, it does. I don't, it does not impact my buying, my purchase or listening habits, whether or not the source of a, of a LP was digital or not. Just like with CDs, if you remember, well, yeah, when CDs came out and then it became a thing, you'd look on the back and it said, you know, ADD or DDD. Yeah. And it was like, oh, DDD, excellent. That was like the holy grail, wasn't it? <laughs> DDD. Digitally, was it recorded, mixed and mastered? Yeah. All digital, but that, yeah. But that was, I guess, looking back, what fools we were. <laughs> to really, really obsess over that because it's just, it's pointless. And it's actually pointless obsessing over the fact that vinyl is cut from, from high-res files. But I mention it because I still buy records knowing that fact, but I am making an informed decision. Yeah. Like I know this, I still buy records. And what kind of irritates me a little bit, it's certainly being obfuscated to a certain degree because there's not a sticker on the front saying cut from high-res files, is there? Or like this, or on the back, this album was cut from a 24192 high-res digital master because that's the closest we could get to the analog tape, which mm. is a fair thing to say, but it's, it's, it's never there. And because we're talking about beginner pitfalls, if you like, or things you might not know as a newcomer audiophile, I think this is an important thing to know. It's an important thing to know and then ignore. <laughs> right. Okay. If you're into records that much, yeah. But if you're sort of, if you're on the edge, should I get a turntable? Should I not get a turntable? Yeah, I don't know. It might influence your decision. Also, the, my next one, number mm. six, this is probably, as I think as far as you're concerned, this might be the spiciest in the list. I don't know. But I don't know whether I'm going to read it as I've written it or whether mm. I'm going to kind of just change it. But basically... I don't think that entry-level turntables, no, entry-level, the cartridges that are fitted to entry-level turntables are, uh. so poor, are so poor that I think they make entry-level turntables, the, the turntables to which they're fitted, they make those turntables a disappointment. <laughs> yeah, see, I don't have much experience with, uh, you know, with that, mm. you know, with entry-level tables that come all set up. Um, you know, it's something I'd be interested in exploring because that it's, you know, that's a very interesting question to me. You know, these days, what does, uh, you know, what do you get for X amount, X amount, you know, in a few different price categories, all on the, uh, lower end, you mm. know, uh, well, it's an interesting, uh, see, I do have a, a, some experience in this and in the, like, a, I guess my most recent experience was the Rega Planar 2. Mm -hmm. And it comes with a rig of carbon cartridge, which I think is really quite weak. Now, I hmm. know why they put them on there. It's because everything's built to a price and they can't put a, a lavish, I mean, an, well, yeah, a luxury cartridge on there because it would blow the price out and then you're into playing our three territory and all that kind of thing. Right. And they want, and they want right. people to get up and running really quickly. I, I completely get that. And hmm. they're very good at that. Like those turntables, also the Project Debut Carbon uh, that I had a few years ago, maybe five years ago. In Australia, that came not with a, not with a Autophon 2M Red, but with an Autophon OM, I've got to get this right, OM10 or OM5E or something like that. Didn't rate it. I just thought it sounded kind of rolled off, a little bit lacking in dynamics, just not as good 
as the similarly priced streaming digital hmm. setups that I that I have had. I mean, I'm talking 500 euro turntables here. Okay, like like also the like the Pionex Pionex Pioneer yeah. PLX 500, which is a direct drive turntable which you can buy for 300 euros. Mm-hmm. And the table itself ain't all that bad for 300 bucks, mm. but the cartridge is garbage. It's, it's terrible. Mm. So I just think that people need to be aware that, yes, if you, by all means, go and buy an entry-level turntable, and many of them are very, very good indeed, mm. but be prepared to swap out the cartridge pretty quickly because you might not be satisfied with the sound you get from the factory-fitted cart. Yeah, I guess I'm thinking that we may be getting, not necessarily ahead of ourselves, but with this, with this, um, you know, the 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 focus of of this, uh, you know, addressing people who are just getting into this. Mm. You know, we've we've leapfrogged um, things like those all-in-one turntables, like. There's a company called Crosley that you you know you might see in ads, mm-hmm. or even I can't tell you how many times I've seen um, on social media pictures of of artists, recording artists, you know, like in their home, and they'll have like a Crosley or all in one, you know, all in one speakers and everything in one little box turntable sitting right. behind them, and it's just you know. So I think it's a you know it's it's worth keeping in mind that that. Uh, maybe that may represent um, a, a clearly a, a fairly sizable market of people, you know, getting into listening to records. That that might be the first step. And so, if you compare like a ninety dollar Crosley, you know, mm. Cruiser Deluxe <laughs> that you can <laughs> get from Pottery Barn, you know, to uh, a three four hundred dollar turntable from one of the companies that you know in the world that we live in, you know. You'd know better than I. You could list them. You know who's offering tables five hundred dollar in a range um, mm. uh, that'll represent a significant upgrade. <laughs> you know, I mean, I would say that if the turntable you want to buy costs the same as three or four final records, yeah, then then don't buy the turntable. Yeah, because the chances are the, the stylus on that thing will be so poor that it will actually damage your records. Mm. If you're spending thirty bucks a pop on a piece of vinyl, yeah, you've You've really got to look after those things because they're not they're not hard wearing, and I think whacking them on a Crosley, well, I don't know. I just don't know what that Crosley's going to do to the grooves. What the needle's going to do to the grooves? Where the one good thing about, say, the Rega, the Project, the Pioneer, and tables like it, and yes, they are a few hundred bucks, mm. is they will not damage your records when sent up properly. Right, right, right. And I just the the Crosley sort. Of, I know the thing you mean the, the all in one with the speaker, and I know that those are the most popular selling items, vinyl wise, on Amazon because Amazon publish their lists every year. And I think two years ago it was an eighty dollar item, and that I think is a disaster. Now, if you if you think that that's your entry to vinyl, I would say don't get into vinyl because mm. you could a be disappointed with the sound, b you're gonna damage the records. You're throwing money away. Yeah. Well, just, uh, I mean, I just went to Amazon just so we have some gauge. Mm. And the, the Crosley Cruiser I mentioned, you know, that's got 705 review, where, Amazon reviews. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's another 
uh, table on here. This got over 3000 It's a $60 all-in-one. You know, so somebody's buying that's all. I, my only point is that, so, you know, there are people out there buying mm. these things. And if you go from that up to any Riga, you're going to hear an improvement, even if Definitely, it has yeah. what might be considered not such a great cartridge, but relative to. But, you know, you've, in the past, you've made, the, the point we're speaking about, you've made this point, and you've also made the point that getting into listening to records is expensive because records are expensive. And I really think that is, even that is almost, to my mind, something to, to really keep in the front of one's mind when mm. deciding whether or not to get into, you know, to buy a turntable. It's like every record, even if you go to a used record store, you're, you know, you're going to be spending at least what, 10, $15 on the very low side. Unless you buy classical music, then you could buy albums for a dollar. <laughs> you know, but, yeah. And then new records are, are, are going to be, you know, 20, 25, 30 per record. So yeah, it's, it's pricey, which makes, you know, the, the whole streaming thing, you know, you get a subscription to whichever streaming service you want. That could go mm. anywhere from, 10 to $20 a month. And then, yeah, streamer in your. Yeah, I would, I, I've got, I got two pieces of advice for people, actually, mm. is that if you don't have a hi-fi system, don't buy a vinyl hi-fi system to start with. Buy speakers, amplifier, streaming DAC, you know, mm. sort of streaming kind of system. Live with it for a bit and then decide whether you want to add a turntable yeah. and go out and buy records because you might really enjoy the streaming thing. You might not. You might want, you know, a more tactile experience. You might want the tea ceremony. Mm -hmm. You know, you might want, I mean, I love buying records. I just love going out to record stores and buying them. For me, that's part of the fun. You know, the, the fun doesn't start when I get it home. The fun actually starts when I walk up to the racks and start flicking through them. Absolutely, yeah. Right? So, yeah. but the, my other piece of advice as well is ignore the people who tell you you can buy all these amazing bits of vinyl from, for $3 from thrift stores. Because the kind of vinyl they're talking about I like horrible eighties albums that should be long forgotten. Like, and I'm not going to name any artists, but they're just basically, they have oh. no relevance to somebody like me and my tastes. I mean, I do love eighties music, some of it, mm. but I'm talking about records that nobody cares about anymore. And I'm with you. Like the minimum you're probably going to be looking to spend on a secondhand record that is actually of interest to people who have kind of interesting, what they would call eclectic tastes mm. is going to be, Minimum ten dollars yeah. on, on a consistent basis. Yeah, fifteen, and then new records are going to be twenty, twenty-five, thirty. Mm. You know, some of these deluxe reissues, thirty-five, forty. So every time you're buying a record, it's like either one month or two months worth of Tidal or Cobos or whatever, or four months of Apple Music. So it's expensive, but yeah, don't listen to people who try and tell you, "Oh no, records are super cheap. I got all my stuff from thrift stores." If they say that to you, demand to know what those records are or demand to go, go to their house and flick through because it's just not going to be in. Well, oh God, how do I put, I don't want to sound like, a, I don't want to sound like a music snob and I'm not a music snob, but I, I guess those comments are distractions and they can mislead people into thinking they're going to go and get the first Supergrass album from a, a thrift store and pick it up for 10 bucks when the reality is that that's right. a rare item. It's 70 dollars minimum out on discogs so yeah if you want to get a good gauge this is a good tip you want to get a gauge of 
how much secondhand records are going to run you, go and punch a few of them into discogs.com yeah. and see what the yeah. market value comes up with there. And look at the median price and the last sold and things like that. Because there's a lot of really good information there because that is the market value of records. Mm-hmm. Discogs is, defines it, right? Yeah, I know it's, you, it's, a, it's a great yeah. resource as it well. It really is, yeah. Yeah, because they will, for any, any recording, mm. pretty much, um, you'll, they will list every single pressing or every single yes. release uh, and give you real information, you know, about every single release. And you can even get the, the difference between the value of, you know, the second pressing of a record compared to the first and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, no, it's, I, I, I'm on Discogs probably once a week or more. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I'm always, I'm buying our CDs again at the moment and it's just, well, mm. CDs obviously super cheap, but I mean, this is the other thing as well. Don't discount CDs. I know that mm-hmm. yesterday's technology that the, your, your dad or your granddad owned, but they're super cheap and you get the sort of physical format hit for a lot less money. They're more durable. You don't have to worry about transit damage as much. We've been through all of this before. I don't want to kind of wait sure. on this po- podcast with all of my ramblings from the past, but I, I think, you know, streaming is probably the way to go initially. And then after that, decide whether you want a turntable or not. But you really should be spending minimum a few hundred bucks on a turntable. And I would say maybe a hundred, 150 on a, on a decent cartridge and not the one that comes with that turntable. If it's one of the, the beginner ones from uh, Project Riga, Pioneer. I'm trying to think of other, other brands. I can't. Yeah, but just as a reference, I mean, at, at present, I use an old... It was, it's a Riga P3, but it's, you know, they called it the 2000, mm-hmm. right? The Riga P3 2000. So that's from 2000. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, with an, and I've never heard of, is it Nagoka? <laughs> Nagoka, gosh. Oh. The, the cartridge. Nagaoka. Yeah. Is that yes. it? Nagaoka? Yeah. I think it is. Yeah. That's how it's spelled. <laughs> I've mm. never heard it pronounced. I'm not sure. Anyway, I use the MP110. Mm-hmm. Is it yellow? Um, yes, it's yeah. Yeah, I have one of those. Yeah. Yeah, it's yellow and it's $140 or something. It's a good cartridge. Yeah, it's yeah. I I I enjoy listening to that system. Yeah. Uh, no problem. Yeah. So Yeah, I, I think that's a good yeah, good one. Also the 2M red from Autophon and Yeah, they're all the two M blue, maybe. I don't know. There's there's a, f- a few of them out there. There's some there's some Grado cartridges which are really good. Um I I See, that's where my sort of the limit of my experience falls really is a couple of entry-level carts. And then, I mean, I run a 2M Black and that's not super high-end, but it's expensive mm. cartridge by most people's standards. Yeah, and, I've owned some expensive turntables in the past, <laughs> cartridges and things. But, you know, the Denon 103, that's a, a classic. That it's been in production since the 50s, is it? Right. I don't know. So yeah, it's been around forever and it's a great cartridge. I don't know. I think it's $200 today. I mean, just point being, you mm. know, there are some cartridges starting at under $200 that are good. Um, and I, you know, I guess I'm tempted to just say that there's a lot of, um, this is the case with anything. There's a, there's a lot of misinformation that, f- that hovers around all of these topics, right? Mm. I mean, you've, ba- um, sorry, I was going to say you bashed. You've covered <laughs> issues with high res. I have covered issues with high res, yes. And Bluetooth. Um, 
and Bluetooth. And, but you know, with with listening to records, there are there are people out there who just hate records. I mean, they just hate them, hate them. And so you know, there's a contingent out there. And you you know, have, as you enter the world of, of hi-fi, if you're doing searches on uh, on turntables and things, you may find yourself somewhere. And the comments, uh, if it's a forum or if it's a website that offers comments or even a YouTube video, but anyway, comments that say, you know, don't buy records. They're distorted and blah, 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 scratches and pops and ticks, blah, blah, all this kind of thing. Mm. I just ignore all that. And because it's the same kind of noise um, that surrounds any topic, any topic these days, whether it be, you know, uh, what to drink your beer out of, what socks to buy, what bicycle to ride, there's noise. So well, yeah, and I think of, it's, yeah. yes, but it's that, ab- I mean, we've spoken about this before, the absolutists in the world, yes. right? They make a lot of noise on the internet and equally they'll go, don't get into streaming. It's, it's cold and it's not emotionally engaging. It's clinical and it's horrible. Yes. And I can't sit down for more than five minutes before I start twitching. <laughs> and you end up sounding like Neil Young and, and just, you just end up sounding a little bit crazy. Those, those <laughs> people that talk like that. So. It, the truth is lies somewhere in the middle, as mm. fucking always, right? Yeah, yeah. Yes, there are pops and surface noise on vinyl records. Does it ruin the experience? Most of the time, no. Not unless you, you know, got a really noisy one. Um, rotational clicks drive me crazy because, you know, the, you, your brain predicts when the next click is coming, and that's infuriating. But generally, I don't come across that very often actually anymore. Yeah, I've yeah, I, really, I've spent uh, like I said, I grew up with records. Um, and I have a lot of friends who, uh, listen to mostly to records and I've, I've spent hours and hours and hours and hours listening to records with friends and, and honestly never once did any of these, uh, you know, surface noise or po- even become an, an issue at all. Yeah. Ever. You know, if you have, if you take care of your records, like anything else, you know, and you buy new or. You're careful about the used records you buy. It should not mm. be an issue. Um, but I guess the the other level of absolutism that really grinds my gears, mm. probably more than anything else, actually, in the world of, you know, the the mainstream media coverage of hi-fi is that nothing beats the sound of vinyl. Vinyl is amazing. You know, it's it's like it's almost this untouchable god mm. in in the world of audio, and I think that's that's garbage. It's not untouchable. Uh, I don't think entry-level turntables are all that good from a sound quality point of view. You have to, I think you have to spend more than five grand on a turntable and cartridge combination huh. to really get something truly special that you could go, yeah, that's in, in some ways better than a digital streaming setup. But even then, hmm. it's not a night and day difference. And I know there are going to be hardcore turntable fanatics maybe listen to this going, well, my turntable goes there, blah, blah, blah. And they're going to be hemorrhaging because I'm saying something that they don't agree with. But, you know, the people that don't agree with this usually have those uber high-end turntables. Right, but right, but this or, right, but this uh, attitude, I'll call it, right? This mm. attitude, it would be, imagine going to the food store and, and you're filling a bag with oranges and somebody comes over and goes, what are you, an asshole why would you buy oranges apples are so much better look right. they do this they do that the oranges don't do that and you'd be like okay have a nice day <laughs> I'll, yeah i'll see it and that's exactly what we're talking about there's no mm. reason to compare records and streaming or records and cds they are different 
you could tell anybody could tell, right? Look, it's different. Yeah. So there are differences, mm. you know, again, you know, that, yeah, what, what you're talking about, these people who are on the best train and ignore yes. and my, my, the only advice I have there is those are the people you definitely want to ignore. Actually, that's a really good point. Yeah. If you're reading an article or watching a YouTube video that tells you this is the best, mm. run away. Yeah. Because there is, there are some things that are better than others. There, there is some relative scale, but when you want to kind of re-nail down a best, it's like best for whom? And th there isn't, you know, I could think of certain amplifiers that suit this kind of music and that kind of listener and other equally priced amplifiers that suit, <laughs> you know, suit another kind of music and another kind of listener. Mm. And could I say which one was best? I actually did it today. We made a video about an amplifier and I was huh. comparing it to another one. I'm going, I can't really call a best here, but it, it also depends upon what you, you know, what you value as being good in terms of sound quality. Do you like a warm and rich sound? Do you like a nice, clean, detailed, almost, you know, polished window sound? Mm. That depends on you. Is one best? No, but there is, there's this, this obsession with best because people think they don't have to do any work to go and find the stuff that they like. It's, it's like, a, like, it's like posting on Facebook. What's the best music ever made? Right. I want, right. I want to listen to that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. It's like, what? It's, it's, it's exactly like asking that. What's the best turntable is, is like asking what's the, yeah, you know, what, what's, I don't know. Yeah. The, the well, best, best music movie. Best movie made in the seventies. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. It's like, what kind of movie and what kind of stuff are you into? Cause you might go with the Godfather part two, but somebody might go, well, no, hang on a minute. I, I can't stand mobster movies. You know, I can't stand Italian gangster movies. They're awful. Yeah. Right. So that's not best for him, but, right, but I guess, yeah, yeah this, right. Best yeah. doesn't, you know, it's a, dis mm -hmm. it's another distraction that, you know, it is, uh, that enters into, you know, you, but you see people, that's the best restaurant. That's the best car. That's the best, you know, mm. oh my goodness. You know, it, it, it's irrelevance. It, you know, that whole approach is irrelevant. However, there's a, there is a contention. I guess these are warning signs, what we're talking about, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Warning signs as you get into the hobby. You know, there are, you know, there are people out there and there are a whole, uh, groups of people who, who believe that they know what the best is. And, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I disagree with the whole premise, but if that's, yeah. you know. Well, I think it's, it's people that are trying to convince other people that they've got it all worked out. And, and they haven't because it's impossible to, it's like when saying like best, best AV receiver under a grand. Well, have you heard the majority of AV receivers un, under a grand? No. Yeah. Well, shut up then. Cause you can't know what's best. It's impossible. It's a, it's a physical impossibility, but it, it's, it's a trick, isn't it? It's a trick to pull you in. Now I do also mm. must acknowledge that, you know, when you say, oh, that's the best, it's also a turn of phrase, isn't it? Cause you go, oh, yeah, that's the best, that's the best burger restaurant. You're not actually saying yes. that that is actually the best burger restaurant. You're just trying to express your enthusiasm. So I do understand that, but I think people who are in the sort of review game have a responsibility to be more, more careful, careful with their language choices, yeah, right? Absolutely. Right. But people aren't because it, it brings traffic. Maybe, I don't know.
Well, this is the best amplifier under under four hundred dollars. Yep. I'm going to click that. I want to know what that is, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's right. It's I think there are a few things at work. One mm. is um it's it's kind of the default mode and it's easy. You know, it, I mean easy it, is the yeah, that, that that's it basically. That's it. It's yeah. the shortcut. It, it 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 is because it doesn't really say anything and it's I don't know in my experience trying to 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 in, in terms of written reviews trying to write about how things sound isn't necessarily an easy thing to do not at I, all i don't find it easy <laughs> like 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 writing a a food list it, you know it takes it's actually a process um that can be very time consuming would well, you know uh, how we were talking at the start about how how much we work on our, our respective yes. applications yeah one of the reasons I work six, six and a half days a week is because I'm kind of slow in my process. Oh, yeah. I take a lot um, of time and yes. I find it difficult and I find it difficult to find the right words. And I really do spend a lot of time trying to find the right words or the right allegories or metaphors or, you know, like, or, and trying to tell a story yeah. and make it engaging and make it entertaining. All the sort of ingredients that people say that, you know, my videos now have, mm. but that's four or five days of just script writing, you know, just you know, congealing one's thoughts and putting them down on the page and going, what story do I want to tell in this video or this written piece? Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm slow at that. I'm not a fast, I don't, I can't bash out a review in like four hours. I cannot do it because it, it'll be shit and I'll hate it. Yeah. You know, I, I'm the same way. I'm no, I'm very slow, um, to come to the point where I feel comfortable, uh, talking about how something sounds. I, I like to take my time. And I think we can, if, you know, in terms of advice for people just getting into the hobby, if, you know, if you find yourself in a position where you're going to invest, and to my mind, that has a connotation, right? Invest means you're going to be spending money that you consider to be a relatively serious amount, right? Mm-hmm. Of money. Mm-hmm. You're investing in a hi-fi. It's absolutely worthwhile to take time. Definitely. And Definitely, I, yes, yes. Yeah, what I mean by that is, uh, I, I mean, it may take weeks. It may take, I, I'll share. So this was, you know, within the last, uh, gosh, I don't, I'm bad with time. It could be within the last, let's say, 15 years, mm-hmm. uh, which means, uh, well, decades in to, being into this hobby. And I, mm. I believe I was, oh, I was already writing reviews at the time. I got mm. interested in a pair of speakers that were very expensive by, I think, any standard, but certainly mm. by my standard. Um, and I spent um, almost a total of eight months before I, bu- I bought them mm-hmm. because I wanted to, I heard them at the dealer a bunch of times then i actually got in touch with someone who i knew through someone else owned them and i ended up going to that person's house uh and listening and to another house and listening uh because i wanted to make sure right i wanted to make sure that because that again it was mm. a serious amount of money so i took my time i'm not saying that you know hey you need to spend that much time these particular speakers were just uh unusual in every way possible. So I needed to 
know what they sounded like in different environments, but mm-hmm. you know, it's worth taking time. And, you know, even at when starting out, but I also, you know, tell pre COVID days, you know, when people would write and ask me questions about, you know, spending maybe $10,000 on an amplifier or something and, you know, and double that on even just amplifiers and speakers, I would say, well, go hear them. Mm. Oh, well, I don't have a dealer near me. I was like, well, then go somewhere for the week, take a long weekend. By yourself yes. or with a friend or with your a, a, a girlfriend, boyfriend, spouse, blah, 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 blah. Make it a nice weekend. Go to, you know, wherever you need to go and, and listen to them and make a weekend. I absolutely agree. I think if, if you're looking at spending 10 grand on something, I mean, I know this is not entry-level stuff, right, not but, beginner stuff, but, like, but it's the processes there, right? Yes. If yes. you're looking to spend 10 grand, you can afford to spend 500 bucks to travel to a place to go and hear something. Yeah. Right. But this comes back to my theme of you have to do some work. There is no getting around it. There's no like quick answer on the internet. And then you just buy it online. It arrives at your house and you plug it in in happy days. If you get that and you're happy, you're very lucky. But generally speaking, you're going to have to go and find something. And I would say if you can't audition something before you part with your money or you can't get it on a home demo or direct sell with a money back guarantee, then don't mm. buy it. Yes. Go and buy something else. Yeah. It might not be what you want, but at least you'll know whether you actually like it or not before you part with cash. Right. And that, you know, in yeah. the, yes, in the, uh, and I know this is so, so painfully obvious, but I, it's worth saying, mm. I think, and that is in the end, uh, the gauge of how, if you will use the word good, a hi-fi is, is how much you listen to it. Right. That's yes. the gauge. Yeah. Does it make you want to play more music? It's simple as that. Yeah. yeah that, and that's it. it. It doesn't matter if, you know, someone else goes, oh, I read a really bad review of that thing. It doesn't make any difference whatsoever because this isn't a competitive sport, number one. Mm. <laughs> like Listening to music, as I know that, you know, that probably pops a lot of people's bubble, right? Because some people are into this idea that hi-fi is some kind of competitive uh, sport. <laughs> like you should be in the Olympics or something. Well, this actually, like, this, oh, this, this, com- yeah. this, this comes to my point number eight, which wasn't, isn't on the list that I've hey, sent you. I don't have right? an eight. <laughs> you don't have an eight, but I've got, I've got an eight, right? So... And this is a big one, This and you're talking exactly about this right now, but sorry, I have to kind of shoot on this in, mm. is be secure in your choices. Yeah. So if you buy something and you're not the kind of person who, I guess uh, uh, you have to ask yourself, are you emotionally secure in what you buy? Or will you be always looking over, you know, you, you, the shoulder of your kind of new hi-fi gear or your own shoulder, or look at the internet, looking at other things you could have bought that might be better. Because mm. if you're that kind of person, and if that kind of shit eats you up, don't get into hi-fi in the first place. Because mm. it will wreck you emotionally. And you'll end up becoming one of those dudes on the internet who has to defend their choices at all costs. Yeah. Right? Like by saying, well, my $2,000 system competes with other systems that cost five times as much. Yeah, and you can, uh, and you right? can see that kind of comment any day of the week. Yes, if, you can. Yes. If, yeah. If you're interested. Because people who are secure in, the, in what they buy, they're not talking about their hi-fi on the internet. They're just playing music at home and they're just enjoying it. And they're like, yeah. I've got this, you know? They're not. It's, it's, so don't 
you know, be very mm. careful that you're not being pulled into this world where, you know, you're swinging dicks with somebody else you don't know on the other side of the world because it's horrible. And it will really, it will eat you, even though you pretend it's like no big deal. And, you know, my, my soundstage is wider than your soundstage. Like, this is where you've, mm. you've gone way off the map because you should be really just listening to music and not posting about, you know, how you did you defend your choices and how everything else that costs more is a ripoff. Because, sure, if you've got a limited budget, whatever that budget is, that's your budget. Be secure in your choices, be emotionally secure in your choices, and be happy with what you have. And also be happy mm. for other people for what they have, right? It's yeah. that empathy yes. gap, right? Yes. The empathy gap is very, very large out there on the internet. It's impossible to straddle it. it well, that's why I see. I don't I see a distinct lack of empathy in conversations about hi-fi on, on the net. And yeah, I don't want people to fall down those those kind of yeah in, into those kind of big sort of chasms of oh god it's it's just horrible oh no no i but i agree completely i mean uh, just imagine you go to someone's home for the first time mm -hmm. um and you sit down in their living room and uh, you know you're handed a drink and before you even take a sip you go you know, you guys have some of the ugliest furniture I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I, I just wanted to share that with you. Do you know yeah, what I'm saying? Or like, yeah, dude, like, yeah. I can't believe your wife is wearing that outfit. And it's like the worst looking shit I've ever seen in my life. Uh, like, who does that? But that's what we're talking about when we get to hi-fi. There are people out there who will say, without even hearing your system or a system, you know, they'll look at things and they'll go, oh, boy, did you get ripped off why? You know, yeah. I, I could just tell by looking at those speakers that they're rolled off in the hot, you know, all this nonsense, like, like yeah. again, this chest, puffing chests and, you know, comparing, it's just, it's, I mean, if some people, I guess, um, it, they find that entertaining. I would, you know, people do say to me, okay, well, if, you know, if the internet, actually, I did get an email this week. Like if John, you know, if the internet is not a great resource for kind of asking for people's opinions, like where do we go? And obviously hi-fi shows are something that you might want to consider. Mm. I'd never heard of a hi-fi show until I actually started writing about audio. I'm, I'm audio file since I'm, since I was 18, but mm. until I sort of made it sort of a, a part-time job in 2010, it was only then I started looking around at like what kind of conventions are on, things like that. But I know that for some people, it's they they think it's a good place to audition gear. I don't, mm. but for some people do, and I'm, I'm not going to argue with them on that. If you're thinking about going to a hi-fi show though, and you've never been to one before, because remember we're talking about audio file newcomers, hi-fi mm. newcomers. There is, I think, there's one thing you need to know about hi-fi shows because it was a real shock for me. It was a real rude awakening for me. Is is that? In the aggregate, in the general sense, right? Yes, there are outliers. Yes, this room played that track and this room played that oh, track at fine. Mm. But in the aggregate, hi-fi shows play a very narrow range of music. And what I mean by that is you'll very rarely hear soul and funk, R&B, metal, punk, um, post-punk. Uh, yeah, funk, soul, you do, uh, yeah. like techno. You, dub, you don't rap, dub hip hop. Yeah. Reggae. Yeah. yeah. You don't hear any of these things. It's a very narrow range. 
Again, I will reiterate that I, I am aware of outliers. There's always an outlier every show. If you do at any show, they're usually the outlier. There are if there's if there's like, like a manufacturer listening to this going, well, I play like a broad range of music. Maybe you do, but generally, you would have to admit that in the main, and because it's a joke amongst the in, among the industry members, right? how narrow, I won't say bad, I'm not going to say bad, how narrow the range of music is at the hi-fi shows. And as a newcomer, I think you need to know that. Yeah, well, and, and I'm, not, I'm not going to defend the practice necessarily. Um, however, I mean, at, in a show environment, the last thing an exhibitor wants to do is put on music that will drive people out of the room. Which is what they say. They will go, well, this is what the people that come to show want. Yeah. But it's, it's an ever repeating circle, isn't it? It's like a Mobius loop. Well, yeah, like, it's, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to, I'll say it, I'll say it. It's, it's a bit lazy because there, uh, there's great set. And the other thing is, of course, you want to play music that will make the system you're showing sound. Mm. You don't want to play crappy sounding music. Poorly no. recorded music, because people, what are they going to think? Uh, they're, of course, they're going to assume that, oh, they're not going to say, oh, that's a bad recording. They're going to say that's a bad system, right? So, I mean, I do understand. So you've got a bunch of things on the, on the exhibitor checklist, right? It's mm. like, yeah, it's got to be music that is not going to offend anybody. It's got to be good sounding music. The problem I have is that in the end, there's thousands, tens of thousands of tracks and albums, tens and tens of thousands that fit those bills. But when you go to a show, it's like a disease that catches on and you'll go from one room to another and you'll hear the same exact track. You know, and some people that have been around for years and years and years and been going to shows that with good memories, they could tell you, like, name a year and they'll, they'll, they'll give you those tracks, right? Right. It's like Stevie Ray Vaughan, blah, blah, blah. There was Dead Can Dance. That was at some point, you know. Was... Sure. But I'm just I mean, saying I... it's lazy because th th there's a world of great sounding, great music out there. Uh, but, but I see, uh, yeah, is it laziness or is it a lack of time? Because a lot of, a lot of show exhibitors, especially at the U.S. regional shows, mm. are, are much smaller operations and usually the designer is the marketing guy. And he's the guy in the room presenting the gear and he's paying to be there, mm -hmm. right? Let's not forget, he is paying for that room. So he's going to play whatever the hell he wants that makes his gear, according to him, sound the best, right? Or what he thinks sounds the best. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. And maybe just have the time to kind of go through thousands and thousands of tracks as we might, because well, but you know, know, he's, he's busy engineering stuff, right? And I suppose, I suppose, yeah. But see, my, I'm, I, I don't think it's necessarily lazy, but I do... I get a little bit bent out of shape when those same exhibitors start complaining about how come there's no young people, how come there's no mm. new blood coming in, and that's when I kind of go, well, hang on a minute. Well, you now you're part of the reason why, right? It's like you're only playing music that suits your existing audience, and that's fine. That's your prerogative, and you're paid to be there. Go ahead, do that, but don't complain that there ain't no young people coming to your hi-fi show because <laughs> you're not catering to them at all. And really, I mean, it's been whittled down to such a small audience now in terms of the global sense that I don't think it will ever recover. I don't think you can start playing hip hop or 
I don't know, dark metal and young people <laughs> will suddenly start flocking in from nearby neighborhoods because it just won't happen. Yeah. It would take years to kind of, of doing that consistently so the word gets out that, hey, this exhibitor plays like this, I don't know, amazing noise artist, right? Mm. It takes years for that shit, that kind of reputation to be, un, you know, the, the reputation of playing old man music to be undone. Sorry, I shouldn't call it old man music, but it yeah. is kind of like that way. Yeah, but you know, yeah. I mean, it, um, I'm trying not to ge overgeneralize, uh, but that it may be off-putting for some people just getting into the hobby if they encounter that kind of uh, sound quality first uh, approach to music, mm -hmm. which exists out. It, oh, it out, really does out there, and I find it off-putting myself. Uh, frankly, you know. So, it's, yeah, but I, I, I guess, and oh God, and I, I hate to. I'll talk about you. I won't talk about me. But you're somebody who's you, you've just turned sixty, right? Oh well, yeah, I look, right. But <laughs> I look at you as somebody who has very, very interesting tastes for your age. Oh, thank you. Right. Yeah. So you're not you're not like playing music from the seventies on constant loop, right? right. I, I know I know you play because I see all the shit you put up on your um, Instagram feed. So I know you're always like playing interesting new stuff. I'm like, yeah, Michael's one cool cat. And I'm not saying this to to to, to, to flatter you or to kind of go, yeah, because he's 16, he should be listening to old man music. But I guess there are certain, I mean, a lot of my friends have interesting tastes in music and that's why we're friends. I think it's why you and I are friends because we yeah. both love Tom, Tom Waits and Nick Cave and things like that. Yeah. Now I know that's kind of sort of old man music now, but it's not like, it's pretty scary at times. <laughs> you know, Nick, a Nick Cave record, apart from the last couple, which are very coffee table, but you know, you go back to Henry's dream mm. and that's mad preacher, Nick Cave, bawling it out. And I love it. I know you love it. Yep. But for most people that would be like, oh my God, what is this racket? Please turn it down now. <laughs> right. It'd be like my dad when I was like 18, telling me to turn it down from my bedroom. It's the same kind of attitude. And I do see that, you know, a lot in the well, audiophile community at large, I guess. Well, I think it, it uh, that kind of thing is that it, it, it's, it's, um, universal outside of the uh, hi-fi community mm. as well. And that is the music of my generation is good. And the music of every generation that comes after mine is bad. I sure. Mean, yeah. I, I, they don't write songs like they used to. Right. Yeah. And, and, and every generation says this, of course and, they but, do. Yeah. They, and they do. And it's funny to me that it, because it's so cliched and it's so ridiculous. It's horrible. Uh, but you know, there's, um, Oh gosh, never mind. Uh, if I can't think of his name, I'm not going to bring it up. But it it does take time and effort to to find new stuff, and I'm finding it increasingly difficult actually. Well, not in not in the electronic music world, but like in, in the world of indie and indie rock that I used to be really into. But indie rock is was has just sort of faded away, and now it's just like indie synth bands, which I'm not so much into. Yeah, you know, like I, I, I like I, the post punk hmm. stuff, you know, like Idols and dry cleaning and things like that. Yeah, there's I don't know. I mean, so I write about a record every Friday on the site mm -hmm. and um, mm -hmm. I make it a point 99% uh, of the time to write about a, a new music, music that's right. been released within the past couple of weeks or months or, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll talk about something that's not that new, but, but by and large, that is the focus. And that is 
very, very uh, intentional. And we, mm. uh, each Friday, I also publish uh, a collection of 15 new albums that's uh, put together by Stephen Mahitz, mm -hmm. who uh, used to write for Stereophile. He now works for uh, AudioQuest. Mm -hmm. um, but those are, it's what it is, it's 15 new, new releases. Um, mm -hmm. And I do that, be, number one, because it's my, that's where my interests lie, but also because I, I want that to be uh, evident <laughs> for anyone who comes to my site. On the homepage, you're going to see us talking about new music mm -hmm. um, because that, to, for me, it's important in, uh, for any number of reasons. Um, to, to just to keep, uh, for me, it's, it's almost like learning a new language. It, you know, you're we, absolutely right. Cause I got a mate in Australia who's, who I remember telling me about eight years ago, he says, he says like, it's really, for him, it's really important to be into, you know, like always on the lookout for new music because he, he said it keeps him young. It keeps his brain alive. It keeps him, yeah, that, I don't I, know, like thinking in a different way, like like it does when you learn a new language. You know, it's, it can be quite uncomfortable at times because you're, you know, confronted with something that is not in your usual wheelhouse, right? Yeah. Now, this I found, thankfully, I uh, with the help of Google, not my memory. Um, mm. I mean, it may sound to some that what we're talking about and what you just said may sound a bit. I don't mean might sound um, out there. It might sound out there. Um, so I will, I will reference a book that is called, this is your brain on music. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The science of a human obsession and the author. Daniel name, Levitin. Yes. Yeah. And you know, this is, a uh, someone who teaches at McGill uh, and, and this is a proper, uh, mm -hmm. study. Mm -hmm. And so I, I highly, if, if this is, this topic is at all of interest to people, you know, that what it's, you know, what does it mean to listen to music? What does it do for mm. us on mm -hmm. a, you know, from a scientific point of view, what is the brain, how does the brain react to listening to music? I highly recommend that, that book. Um, it's fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. And one of the points that he makes, if this isn't too off track, but I'll make it very brief. And one of the points he makes is that through study, they've found that, you know, people to obviously we're talking about, they tend to listen to the music they grew up with. Mm. And if you constantly listen to the same music over and over and over, like if I were to keep listening to Jimi Hendrix and the doors every day and Neil mm. Young, blah, 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 the connections that are made in our brain to that specific music, uh, as an event in time, the more we listen to it, the weaker those connections become back to that original event. If, you, if that makes sense. In other words, the first time I started listening to Jimi Hendrix when I was you know, 13, 14 years old are mm. hugely important experiences for me, right? And mm. for anyone, that's when we are making these very passionate connections to music because they're tying us into a social system and blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But if we keep listening to that music, we kind of bury those initial the importance of those initial connections in our brain because it gets diluted the more we listen over time. So it is the case that if you constantly listen to new music, your brain is reacting differently. And when you go back to some of these, uh, some of this music that was important to you, if you haven't listened to it for five or six years, 
you know, those, you'll have that kind of pure connection to the initial experience. Mm. Um, anyway, it's just one of the, no, no, it's, no, it's interesting. Fascinating, it, yeah. it reminds me of an interview I heard recently, Brian Eno talking to Rick Rubin. Uh, yeah. And Brian Eno was talking about one of his most treasured albums of all time. As far as he's concerned, huh. I think it was the velvet undergrounds second album, third album. I can't remember which one, which it doesn't really matter, mm. but he said, he absolutely adores that record, but he has only listened to it three or four times Yeah, because he doesn't essentially want to wear it out yes. in his head, right? What we're talking about is wearing a record out because we've all done it. Yes. And I know that subconsciously I don't play records that I know I love because I don't want, because every time I play it, it its impact is reduced a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right? Yes. And so... It's, it's almost like a record that wears out, but it's almost like it wears out exponentially. So every play wears out <laughs> sort of the experience more than the previous play. That's, I mean, that's how I feel about it in my head. I don't know. Whereas like when a record's new, it's just incredible. It's a whole, it basically, it's a new world, mm. right? Because for me, every album, I mean, I'm an album guy. An album is a world, like the, the good ones are anyway. Yes. And you, you kind of, you, you feel like you live in that world. With the characters in the lyrics, if it's a, mm. you know, like a, a, a song based album, but if it's electronic music, it's probably going to have a different feel to it. It's going to feel like probably like an icy landscape or, you know, jagged mountains or something like something like that. I don't know. I like the stuff I like. It's a bit like that. Mm. Um, but there aren't people at the center, but there's still a world that you inhabit. And it's like when my, I got a mate in the UK, he was talking about when I can't remember which member of Rush died, but he was saying how. Mm so deeply if upset he was that a member of Russia yeah, died. Yeah. Know? And I was trying to, like I was saying to him, yeah, it's because this guy created a world in which you have lived for many decades. And like once one of the creators falls away, it's almost like he's taken a bit of that imaginary world with him because it's never the same again, right? Because you know that you know, one of the creators of that work is no longer with us. And when they mm -hmm. all die, like, I mean, I guess like the Ramones, right? They're all dead. Mm. So it's, when you listen to the Ramones now, it's, it's a bit like inhabiting the world of the undead, if you like. It's like reunion tours and things like that. But obviously, no, it's not like reunion tours. What am I talking about? But it's, reunion tours are also about the undead, but it's a different kind of undead. But do you understand? Oh God, I feel like I'm, I've really disappeared up my own ass for like the last three minutes. <laughs> well, but wait. you know what I mean? Like you, you kind of, I do. Well, well, Michael Lavornia, thank you ever so much for another really entertaining conversation. Um, I, I hope people got something out of, you know, our second talk about, you know, beginner hi-fi people. Yeah, let's though, hope. I mean, that certainly is the point we're trying to get to. Yeah, that yeah. there's something helpful in these conversations. Yeah. I hope so. Yeah. Anyway, thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure. You have been listening to me, John Darko, and Twittering Machines is Michael Lavonia. This episode was produced by Nick McCorriston, and music came from Ben Pitt.